Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. I was talking recently with my friend Cindy about some expressions that her father used to use. He came from the Piney Woods of East Texas, and whenever there was a lull in the conversation or he wanted to tweak somebody, he would use these little trademark phrases that probably wouldn't mean that much to other people, but to his family, it just cracked them up. One of them was, do you live around here or do you ride a bicycle? <laughs> like, I don't, what? Yeah, I don't what really does that understand. even mean? <laughs> right? And um, if if they would say, uh, "Come on, Dad, let's go, let's get ready," uh, he said, "I stay ready, so I don't have to get ready." <laughs> and they call those expressions memeisms because that was his name. His grandson couldn't pronounce his name. I was thinking that every family has memeisms, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't you have? Yeah, my father's got a thing that he says. He's uh, seventy four now, and yeah. he's got this bunch of these dumb things that he says and some of them are dadisms dadisms right? yeah it's um yeah. Uh, yeah my hair is wavy one hair stands up and waves to the other <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> and it, anytime somebody mentions hair it's like it, it cues him to to say that isn't that funny <laughs> and it's so corny and i'm sure i'm developing dadisms too for my ah. son I, I hesitate to share them ah, here i bet you are yeah <laughs> m- yeah my dad invariably anytime our family would gather around and watch the television news there was always a point in the broadcast Podcast where my dad would just look up incredulously and say, people are crazy. People are crazy. And, and to this day, I can crack up my brothers if I just say, people are crazy. And maybe it doesn't mean that much to people outside no. the family, but these trademark phrases, they're really fraught with something. Yeah, yeah they're loaded with this uh, f- uh, memory, for one thing, yeah. right? They remind yeah. you of the character of the person, particularly if they've passed, yeah. right? And also, they they're kind of like an old song that mm, for you brings yeah brings mm. back a time and a place and a person and and that's important. That's right? a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I bet we're pressing the memory button for a lot of our listeners. We'd love to hear your memeisms and dadisms. You can call us at eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three or send them to us in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Joey Richards. Hey, Joey, where are you calling us from? I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. Well, welcome to the show. What can we do for you? Uh, well, I was listening a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you guys asked for um, funny sports sayings and things like that, so I thought I would call in. I kind of have a unique um, perspective lately. I, I got to hire a head football coach for our high school football program, mm-hmm. so um, the high school principal and I conducted a search, and we were looking for our football coach. 
And uh, all these guys kept coming through our office, and the same phrase kept coming up over and over again. And so I thought I would call in and, and talk to you about it because it was a really funny deal. What's the phrase? What did they keep saying? Well, um, six of the eight face-to-face interviews that we did, um, uh, these, these guys over and over would say, it's not about the X's and the O's, it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Not about the X's and the O's, it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And what do you take that to mean? Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in that. I don't know how familiar you are with football, but football's kind of a big deal in Texas. And yeah, so, yeah, I imagine. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> I, I heard something about that. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've grown up in Texas and, you know, lived here all my life. And so fall Friday nights are, are just kind of an exciting thing, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. And so, I mean, it, it just, it just makes, I, I guess, maybe every Friday night an exciting thing. But, but, um, you know, football in particular, uh, you know, coaches can get big egos and you think, you know, that it's all about you and, you know, what you do on the dry erase board on the weekend, you know, you're going to come up with this great play that is going to, uh, you know, lead your team into victory and all of this stuff. And at, at a certain point, once their ego gets crushed enough, um, you know, with, with kids not executing the play mm-hmm. as you thought maybe they could, mm-hmm. um, you realize at a certain point you come to the end of yourself and you, and you realize it, it's, it's really not about what I'm drawing on the dry erase board. It's about the kids who are running those plays. And, you know, if I've got bigger, stronger, faster kids, then, then, um, then whatever the X's and O's I put in front of them, they're, they're, they're going to be able to manage that. They're going to be able to handle it. So, you know, so it really isn't about the X's and O's. It's about, it's about having the Jimmy's and the Joe's that can run those plays. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a fun, a fun statement. Like I said, I heard it all my life and, um, um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, you got have you have a really smart crowd. I don't know how much football they watch. Well, just so, I just want to be well, clear. It's not mutually exclusive. I, uh, yeah, I want to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be clear though, just for those who don't follow football, that the X's and the O's are these are the symbols that are used. The o, O's are the offensive players, and the X's are the defensive players. So on the whiteboard, you put these up there to represent the players as they're going to move from stage to stage for the for the play, right? Draw exactly. your arrows and so exactly. forth. Yeah. That's right. And, and that's Jimmy's right. and Joe's, and that's great because those are really common male names. They stand for all of the players, though, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Are you in your 30s, perhaps? I am. Okay. Because when you said you've been using that phrase your whole life, I began to wonder. The earliest that I can find that phrase is 91, 1991. It pops up in a story about football in the L.A. Times. Um, it's okay. probably a little okay. older than that, but that's a good that's a good. That's 24 years right there. Sure, sure, and that would have been while I was going through high school, while I was playing high school football. And you know, as a as a coach myself, after I graduated from college, and um, you know, using it using it, um, you know, out of my own mouth, mm-hmm. you know, to to portray you know the importance of getting the right kids on the field. Um, now on into uh, becoming an administrator, joining the dark side, if you will, and going into administration. <laughs> well, when you don't we, have the knees for it anymore, you got to do something else, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. And so, um, so it's ju- it was just funny to watch coach after coach. I mean, it's like it, it's it's like they had all met together and said, "Okay, in my part of the interview, I'm going to say the same phrase, you know, that everybody else is going to say." It's like they had all gotten together and decided that they were going to say the exact same thing. Well, and good so sayings and good proverbs do tend to be contagious. That's for sure. Joey, I want to thank you for sharing so much of your program there and what you've got going on in West Texas. It's all super interesting. And it's it's cool that this phrase is kind of an insight, too, in the mind of the football director and the players themselves. It's kind of, it's kind of perfect in that way. It really kind of touches on so many key issues, as you've well explained. So thank you for that. Indeed.
Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you guys. Y'all, y'all run a great show, and I, and I love listening to it. Thanks so much. All right, take care Thanks now. Thanks a lot, Joey. Okay, bye all right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We love sports language. Give us a call. Tell us all about it, 877-929-9673, or send in an email to words at waywardradio.org. And find us on Twitter. Our handle is W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello there. Hi, who's this? This is Robin Blythe. Hi, Robin. Where are you calling from? Harrisonburg, Virginia. Oh, welcome to the show. I've got a serious, serious problem that y'all need to help me out on with this. Okay. Let me tell you what is on the line with this. If I lose, I have to watch Chick Flicks for like a weekend. Oh, man. Uh-huh. And she wants to film one of these Chick Flick movies. Because if I win, we get to watch like Transformer 3D and so on <laughs> and so forth. So Outstanding. There's a lot. I'm, I'm not a Chick Flick kind of guy. I'm in touch with my femininity, but I'm not a Chick Flick kind of guy. <laughs> okay, yeah. So what do you think of Love Actually? So, uh that's probably what I'm end up having to watch, something like that. Oh, bless your heart. This, <laughs> What's this the question? sounds serious. It is serious. Yeah. And against Transformers 3D, you know. <laughs> okay, here's what's happening. Gosh, eight, ten years ago, my wife and I are sitting on the sofa, and I'm like, Baby, will you scratch my back? She said, you don't scratch your back, you itch your back. I was like, no, you scratch my back. She says, no, you itch it, you have a scratch in your hand. So I started, like, looking and... To really get down to the bottom of it, um, I've looked it up, whether it be a verb transitive, blah, blah, blah. Barely know English myself, so I needed professional opinion. <laughs> All right, let's break this down. Let me just recap this. Oh, boy. You believe that you can scratch an itch, and she believes that you can't scratch an itch. She has a problem with that verb. Right. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is kind of the opposite of what I would have mm-hmm. expected, really. Why? Well, usually the complainer is the one who thinks that itch your back is wrong. Oh, that's true. That's true, yeah. And that's the thing that's interesting about this, dude. Yeah. It's It's like usually itch to itch someone's back is considered very non-standard and highly inf- informal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and not the kind of language that... You know, you, people will call you on it sometimes. So it's interesting that she should yeah. be a proponent of the particular construction that lots of other people have a problem with. Lots of people. Right. Yeah. And lots of books, actually, style yeah. guides and reference manuals and things like that. So, now, she's not completely right. wrong because it's perfectly grammatical. It's just marked as being informal. Everyone kind of recognizes that's not usually the way that we do that. And you scratch an itch. That's more properly put. So you're saying that if I'm walking down Metro and I see somebody, I say, would you scratch my back because I got an itch on it? But if it's my wife, I can say, well, you itch my back because my wife and I are informal, but meeting a stranger to do your back is pretty formal, right? <laughs> How often do you ask strangers to relieve your itch? Yeah, that's a well, really good hey, question. I look like one of those cows in the field rubbing against one of those fence posts trying to itch my back sometimes. <laughs> I'm trying to scratch my uh-huh, back sometimes. Uh-huh. I know that. She's the, influenced the, you. I the can oily, tell. The oily burlap sack on the barbed wire. I know that very much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite that big, but I'm a big boy. So, you know, mm. I'm, are they both right? Mm. Um, they're both correct. They're, let, let's put it this way. First, they're both grammatical English. But we have something else to consider, and this is the word that linguists use, the pragmatics of it. And the pragmatics of it is that scratch and itch is far more accepted to, than to itch a scratch. Okay. So that's the yeah. problem with this. That technically, you're both correct. So what I'm going to do is suggest that you find a movie compromise. Did you okay. see the movie with Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise? Was kind of like Groundhog Day with robots? 
No, I didn't. I recommend that one. <laughs> Just look it up. Okay, Emily well, bought Tom Cruise. I'll, it's it's I'll kind love. of it's really actiony, but they fall in love. So maybe you'll both be happy. Okay. So I'm IMDb. <laughs> fall in love. Yeah. Okay. So they wear like yeah. big, they they fight wars against alien creatures, but they fall in love. So oh, that's not bad. maybe yeah. there should come because I think you both have a case. But you actually have a little more of a case. Yeah, I'd say two Transformers movies and one Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Bang, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's really good, then. All right, man. Thank Robin, you so this much is great. For, uh, for my question. Our pleasure. Let us know how it turns out, all right? <laughs> Thanks a lot, you guys. Be good. Take all care right. now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. We've got a lot of room for you. 877-929-9673. Email us at words at waywardradio.org. Don't hold back. Let us know the whole story. Here's another expression I learned from my Texas friends. I don't know how widespread it is, but suppose you ask me a question, Grant, and I don't remember the answer. What I could say to you is, I've slept since then. Oh, really? Yes. I've slept since then. Yes. Which means you've forgotten it. Time has passed and you've forgotten it? Yeah, I think so. Or it's been more than a day, so I shouldn't be expected to remember it. Oh, right. So it wouldn't be in your short-term memory anymore. Right, (laughs) right. But I was hiking with some friends from Texas, and they kept using that expression, and I Googled it, and man, it's all over the place. That's pretty cool. I like it. I wonder if they're pulling your chain, though. Maybe nobody says it except those people. No, no. It's all all over Google. Yeah, I I Googled it. I slept since then. Yes, it Googles very well. So if you don't remember something, just say, oh, I've slept since then. We know they have interesting talk out your way. Let us know about it, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. It's brain food for language lovers. Share your stories as Away With Words continues. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine away with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive, easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And hey, look who it is. It's oh, John Chinesky, our quiz guy John. on the line. I recognize hey. those electronic impulses. Hey, it's me, Grant and Martha. John I recognize and yours as well. Impulses. What's up, bud? How you doing? Well, I'm doing fantastic. Everybody's doing great. The family's doing good. I take yep. the kids to the movies all the time. Speaking of movies, yep. uh oh, here we there's go. A segue. Everyone remembers that scene at the end of the movie when uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark suddenly announces to the press, "I am Iron Man." Yes. Everybody goes crazy, right? Remember right. that? Well, today we've got some words that are going to reveal their secret identities. Oh. For example, if I say. You know me as a word meaning a very large motion picture format, but remove my I am and I'm a lumberjack's tool. Who am I? 
Axe. I'm Axe. I'm Axe. Okay, right. Now, I want it. you to deliver the pronouncement with the proper gravitas that announcing your secret identity deserves. Say, oh. I'm Axe. Axe. Yes. Very good. Now, these are akin to cryptic clues. So, you know, this counts towards your cryptic class credits. Oh, by, oh good. By the nice. way, just so you know. I'll get right. my punch card out. Good. Here you go. Now, you know me as a word meaning pierce with a sharp instrument, but remove my I am and I'm rather colorless. Who am I? A pierce with a sharp instrument. You am pale. Pale. There we go. I'm pale. I'm pale is correct. Past That's the, the sunscreen. I'm pale. pale. You <laughs> certainly are. You know me as a word meaning charge an office holder with misconduct, but remove my I am and I'm a delicious fruit from a deciduous tree. Who am I? I'm, I'm peach. I'm Peach. Yes, very good, Martha. You know me as a word meaning grand and awe-inspiring in appearance, but remove my I am and I'm sitting for a photo or painting. Who am I? I'm I'm posing. (laughs) I'm posing is right. I'm posing, nice. Or imposing, very good. You know me as a word that means having a feeling of admiration and respect, but remove my I am and I'm Free from wrinkles, thanks to an iron. Who am I? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pressed. That's <laughs> very good. Well, you should try time management. would probably I fly <laughs> away. help you a little bit. Just saying. Up into the sky I go to save the day. Yay. You know me as a word that means better than before, but remove my I am and I'm QED. Who am I? I'm proved. I'm proved. Martha, you're really good at this. You just have I'm that super. Good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm proved. I'm good. I'm proved is improved. Yes. Improved. You know me as a word that refers to a specific verb tense, but remove my I am and I'm free from faults or defects. I'm Who am I? Perfect. I'm perfect. Well, excuse me. <laughs> oh, always thought you guys felt that way. I'm perfect. Imperfect. Very good. You know me as a word that means a sudden urge, but remove my I am, and I'm a rhythmical throbbing. Who am I? I'm Pulse. I'm Pulse Pulse is right. Now that's a cool superhero name. Pulse? Pulse. Pulse. That's a good one. I almost guarantee you that there is a superhero named Pulse. Probably. That's how good it is, right? Very good. You guys did great, you superheroes. You are puzzle superheroes. That's it. Is that all the presents? That's all (laughs) of them. Sorry. Well, that was fun. Thanks, John. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Okay, guys. Bye-bye. See you at the movies. Bye-bye. Take care. And we'd love to talk with you about language, so call us, 877-929-9673, or send those emails to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi, who's this? This is Vanita from Dallas. Hello, Vanita. Um, I had a question for you guys, because I grew up in India, and I've always been taught that the little thing on the table with salt and pepper is called a salt and pepper cellar. And then I came here, and everyone calls it a salt and pepper shaker. Oh, and I wasn't, okay. wasn't sure what the difference is. Is there a difference in origins, or what, if it's a, talking about slightly different devices? Not sure. Wait, you can have a pepper cellar? Yeah, that's what I she thought said. so. Oh, interesting, interesting. Uh, right? Interesting. Yeah. And by that, you just mean the little bottles with the, the tops that have the holes in them? Or, or like a pepper grinder? Yes. I mean, whatever you kept at the table to put salt and pepper on right. your food, 
at mealtime. I mean, I grew up calling them sellers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Both of them, the salt and the pepper. That's interesting. Yes. I've never heard of a pepper seller. Well, now we have. Now we have. We're learning yeah. something new every day. And, and how are you spelling seller? That's the other question. C-E-L-L-A-R? Mm-hmm. The traditional use is salt seller, C-E-L-L-A-R, like that. Right. Specifically referring to the thing that holds the salt. Right, yeah. It goes back to a Middle English word, saler, that's related to the Latin word for salt. It came to us through French. Yeah, so that's huh. why we were curious about the pepper seller. because. Yeah. The spelling changed to conform to the spelling of the basement room, you know, the cellar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it has in its etymology, salt is the root. So salt cellar has always actually kind of been a little redundant anyway, which right. is really nice. It's a nice little linguistic thing there. Mm-hmm. But to call it a pepper cellar means we've got some new transference mm-hmm. where we've lost that notion of salt on the word cellar, and we can now use it for any spice of the table, maybe. That's cool. Interesting. That's very cool. I just was taught to call it a salt and pepper cellar. I don't think we ever thought through the origins of the word there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we've got it back as far as the 1400s. Uh, yeah, like sailor, seller, siller, something like mm-hmm. that. Lots of a variety of spellings. And they all just refer to the, mm-hmm. the thing that you keep the salt on on the table. Yeah, and the word salt itself was sometimes used for that container mm. back in the day. Yeah. I mean, those words have huh. sort of been mm-hmm. very slippery. There we go. That's very interesting. That's why you do it. And, you know, India sometimes does hang on to older forms of English that the rest of the English-speaking world has has let go. So maybe maybe this is why it's more common there than it is here. But I think many many Americans, particularly ones who read a lot, probably know it. Well, that's interesting. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah, and thanks for sharing that with us. I'd be interested to hear if anybody else calls it a pepper seller. Right, right. I want to know that. Is that a new thing that we've caught on to here? Vanita, you might have turned us on to something cool. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Uh, bye-bye. 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 Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or send them to us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Voltaire. I'm calling from San Diego, California. Oh, great. Okay. Welcome to the show. What can we help you with? Thanks so much. Well, you know, I've been interested for a long while in slang, and specifically words like bay, fleek, uh, that this, you know, past year were really popular, but maybe the most greatest example might be a word like bling bling, which has been added to the American lexicon. And you know how that happens, like how words like that catch on throughout the country. Does it start with, you know, hip-hop artists, or does it start uh, in another way? I'm just really interested and curious as to how that, you know, ends up being the case. Mm-hmm. Come are, to the right place. Yeah, those are all three really, really great examples of one particular kind of slang catching on because they all have African-American origins. Um, mm-hmm. Bay, let's just, for the audience that doesn't know, bay is B-A-E. It's a condensed version of the word babe or baby, and it means you're sweetie or you're, you're shorty. Um, fleek is usually given as on fleek. It was popularized in 2014 by a young woman named Peaches Monroe. Monroe spelled with two E's on the end, who's a young African-American woman who did this like six-second video, like a vine, where she's like really proud of her appearance. She just said something about being on fleek, and she like does this particular move with her finger across her eyebrows to show that everything was perfectly in place. So so if you're on mm-hmm. fleek, you're perfectly appointed, you're well-dressed, you're, you're, you've got style and class. And then bling-bling, everybody knows at this point this is money or uh, ostentatious wealth, maybe. Mm-hmm. Jewelry. Jewelry, yeah. So what's really interesting about all of these is that they kind of show what's really happening in pop culture over the last, say, 20 or 30 years where 
as African-Americans started to dominate some of the art forms, particularly music, they developed a following among kids of all ages and all races and all backgrounds. And the language that they use in their music and in their interviews, you know, where, on television, what have you, started to be adopted by their fans, the people who adore them and go to their shows and buy their albums. And then we get this new age where somebody like Peaches Monroe, who is basically a nobody before this happened. Because I've never heard of Peaches Monroe. Yeah, That's there awesome. we go. But her video has been watched <laughs> tens of millions of times at this point. Millions. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And of course, parodies were done and it showed up in, it's now showed up in songs. I see it pop up in tweets. Here we have a really great example where On Fleek was popularized because this particular kind of connectedness we have, these, I call them networks of influence. You get jokes fashion and new language from the same people in your life. They tend to be people right. that you respect and people that you spend a lot of time with or you pay a lot of attention to. And in some cases, they're performers. In some cases, they're just YouTube stars. And so like all of them Yeah, Bling Bling <laughs> is a really great one. I think this came up from a New Orleans group in 1999. BG and the Cash Money Millionaires had, yeah. had an album that just kind of broke out just big. It was a nice hit. It was a good club song, a lot of great remixes of that. And um, everybody kind of got it when you talked about your bling. Originally, I guess it meant the, the ostentatious gold jewelry that hip-hop performers would sometimes wear. But eventually, it could just be the big fat diamond engagement ring that you got or the really swank car that you got or like the shiny suit that you wore to your wedding or your prom or whatever. And it started to be like where you dressed up something special and you're showing off your style, you know. And then when it started to appear in, like, airline advertisements on tops of taxi cabs in New York City, we knew that bling was done. And now it's usually just given as bling. But another one, how did that get big? Well, this New Orleans group that had a lot of respect made a big hit song that had a lot of remixes. And through the pure force of pop culture, it spread to the entire country. And basically the English-speaking world. You'll find bling in Australia and in the U.K. also. Yeah, bling is such an amazing example because you actually can look that one up and it's right. in like you know the Merriam-Webster dictionary yep so I know I just dumped yeah, a lot of stuff on you yeah you got an there Voltaire what do you think <laughs> no I think that's great I mean very helpful I appreciate it thank you and say hi to your bae for me <laughs> yeah okay will do <laughs> bye bye well we'd love to talk to you about language we've got a whole lot of stuff to share with you but we know you've got stuff to share with us Put it on the phone, 877-929-9673. Send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. And try us on Twitter at the handle W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. I came across an article that I think will amuse you. It ran in the Detroit Free Press, but for a minute there, I thought it was in The Onion. Uh Uh-oh. The headline is, you're going to love this, Oak Park Man Invents Word for Nieces and Nephews. Oh, I saw that. I did see that. They were so excited for him. They were so excited. I'm kind of excited for him, too. You are? A little bit. I mean, yeah. What was his word, though? I don't remember his word. His word is sophralia. Oh, yeah. That's why I don't remember it. Yeah, it's (laughs) S-O-F-R-A-L-I-A, sophralia. And this is attorney Rabbi Schnur Stephen Poulter who came up with this. I was just so surprised that a newspaper would pick up on this um, effort to uh, create a word and then popularize it. Um, he says that uh, that he's trying to get the dictionaries to pick it up, but he hasn't gotten much momentum. And what I also loved was that um, the newspaper went to a professor of Greek and Latin at the University of Michigan who said that sophralia doesn't make 
sense. It's an invented word based on Latin words, but it's not a Latin formation. It's a made-up word, and it's okay to make up words if he wants to, fine, but no one would get much help from the Latin for this. <laughs> and uh, she also adds that maybe he would like to use the German word for this, which is Geschwisterkind. <laughs> I, I like think, that. I didn't know that uh, word, Geschwisterkind. I think they're both not going to make it in English, really. <laughs> you think? Yeah, the I most s- popular coinage that I know, which has been coined multiple times mm-hmm. for nieces and nephews yep. together, is Nieflings. That's what I use. I love it. Yeah, Nieflings. But yeah. We, you know, the argument kind of is if we needed the word, we'd already have it. Right. So, and as families get smaller in America, we have less and less need for it. Need for Neeflings? Need for Neeflings. I still like Neeflings. Yeah, well, good one, right? Except when they grow up. Why? Not, well, I think of Neeflings as oh, these little right. things, you know, running around, but I don't know about about yeah. adult Neeflings. So maybe they're just Neefs. <laughs> my Neefs. My Neefles. I like it. Well, Rabbi, good luck. I, good I luck. Sofralia catches on. We're, I, we're know, doing our best. More but. of us need to find windmills to tilt at. <laughs> it keeps life interesting. <laughs> Email words at waywardradio.org. And let us know what you think on Twitter at the handle W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, way with words. Hi, how you doing? Who's this? This is April Smith. April, where are you calling from? I am in the DeGrasse area in Russell, New York. What's on your mind, April? Well, um, years ago, uh, I was probably in my 20s. I was acquainted with a gentleman who was in his 70s. This was, oh, back in the 1970s. And um, I, would, I would greet him and ask him, Pete, how you doing? And he'd say, oh, sick of bed on two chairs with a twinkle in his eye. And being a young kid as I was, I would just say, oh, really glad to hear that, Pete. And I never really understood what he was saying to me and assuming that was a good thing. I still don't know what that means. Wow. So what does that mean? Sick Sick a bed on two chairs or in two chairs? Sick a bed on two chairs. Really? And he suggested that it was something really positive. Well, he always said it with a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eye. Now, Pete Peterson was born in the uh, in the back country of Joplin, Missouri. Oh, mm-hmm. one of my folks. Now, that's interesting because I've always heard it as more of a sort of they're malingering. They're not They're not really that sick. Oh, I see. Well, maybe that yeah. explains the twinkle. Yeah. Because he's been purporting to be sick, but actually just right. having, a time off, having some time off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard the longer form, April? Sick in bed on two chairs with my feet out the window and the blinds pulled down? No. There's a couple different possible origin stories for this. One is that you've pulled a couple of chairs together, kind of facing each other, so there's no gap between them, and you put it in the kitchen or where all the family's hanging out so the sick person can hang with the family and actually so that the family can keep an eye on them. So you're literally sick of bed and two chairs with a lot of blankets and people bringing you treats and tea and so forth. Uh, one version of that says that you do that in the kitchen. You bring those two chairs together to keep you out of the bedroom that you share with your sibling so your sibling doesn't catch what you have. And then there's another version which says um, sick in bed on two chairs means you're sick, but you're working anyway. So you're still sitting at the dinner table, still eating your meals, but you're also sitting on the porcelain chair as well because things aren't going well, (laughs) if you know what I mean. So you're actually sick in bed on two chairs, which means you're not actually in bed, but you are on two chairs, so to speak. Huh. 
Okay. So maybe that's so, the twinkle in his eye. He was he didn't want to give you the full details, but it meant something that he you know he was hoping you'd understand what he was talking about. He was always just pulling my legs. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the sense that I've always had of it, is that you're kind of pulling somebody's leg. So we'll just talk about a bed for a second. When we're talking about being a bed, it's an old-fashioned way of saying in bed, right? A-B-E-D. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sick a bed. Yeah, sick a bed. Yeah, so he was... He was just—he was pulling my chain. I think he was. <laughs> yep. I think he was being yep. ironic. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not really sick. Maybe he was taking that version of it. Not really sick, yep. and just kind of trying to pass himself off as somebody who needed sympathy and love. It's a great phrase, though. <laughs> All right, April. I hope we helped a little bit here. Shed, shed some light on it. Bye, April. Okay. Take care now. Thank you. Bye, bye. This is a show about words and language and how we use them. Give us a call, 877-929-9673. Find us on Facebook. We have a big Facebook page and a big active Facebook group. And you can talk to us on Twitter. The handle is W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Grant, do you know what a random scoot is? I hesitate to answer that. I just is it naughty? What? Is no. It, oh, let it be no, naughty. No, no. Oh. Actually, it sounds like it might be random scoot. Yes, I don't know. Latin name for a type of weasel. Uh, that's very good. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Oh, is Call it? Call us with your let. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's two words: random, R A N T U M, and S C O O T. This term was sent to us by Meg Glidden, who tells us, and and I checked it out. It's true that. On Nantucket, a random scoot is a walk with no particular destination in mind. It's often taken on a beautiful summer afternoon across the moors. So random is a form of random, maybe? Yes. And scoot to be yeah. kind of logical for a walk, yeah. a scoot around. Oh, nice. Yeah. Random yeah. scoot. But she says that's what they use there on Nantucket. Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. And look for us on Twitter at Wayward. More stories about what we say and why we say it. Stay tuned. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash w-o-r-d-s. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. I've always had a particular fascination with writers' spaces. That is, where physically people figure out they can do their best writing. And I've been thinking about that in particular because of a book I'm reading about Chaucer. It's called Chaucer's Tale, and it's by Paul Strom, who was the Tolkien Professor of English Language and Literature at Oxford University. He writes about the years in London that Chaucer spent living at Aldgate, which is the main eastern gate to the walled city of London, and he's figured out from architectural plans and a lot of extrapolating pretty much what Chaucer's writing quarters looked like. And it's pretty amazing because he's living in this this place that's only about 16 by 14 feet. The walls are five feet thick and the only natural light would come from two or three or four arrow slits that, that go through the wall. He also talks about the fact that it's over this really busy London thoroughfare 
thoroughfare. It's within hundreds of feet of three different churches. So you've got the church bells bong, bong, bonging all the time. And it's right over what is called Hound's Ditch, which is an extension of a sewer. Mm. And you can imagine why it was called Hound's Ditch. A lot of people took dead dogs there. And so they had rotting garbage and sewage. And I'm just trying to think, my gosh, can you imagine trying to write in a space like that? I mean, compared to that, I feel like the princess in the pea. I wonder if it suited him because the rent was cheap or maybe... Oh, he got to live there for free because he was a government bureaucrat Maybe he needed the chaos to inspire him. I I remember living in New York City and feeling that Hmm. uh, until later, much later, the chaos of the city just kind of kept topping off my batteries, so to speak, filling me with like electrical charge that I could generate into creative ideas. Well, I understand that. that. But I just found that fascinating because I never thought about where he might have actually had to sit and write some of his early stuff. It's really fascinating. And then that made me wonder, Grant, do you, when you're doing your serious writing, do you put in earbuds? Do you... Oh, yeah. I I block out as much noise as I can. I I buy those heavy-duty construction earplugs, the one that go in the ear canal. Yeah, The foam ones that expand block almost all of the noise. I can't listen to music. I get distracted by it. It takes me away from the task. Um, and I, I, I like to be surrounded by heavy things like bookshelves and things. furniture. Like I, I don't mind small spaces at all, but the writing doesn't happen in a coffee shop. Nothing good happens in a coffee shop for me. <laughs> the noise is too much. The banging of the utensils on the counter, people chatting. I just can't do that. Yeah, that's interesting. I forced myself, of course, in newsrooms to write with a lot of chaos yeah, going around right. me. But now I um, I usually put in the earbuds and I put in sort of zone out music. It can't have lyrics. Mm-hmm, right. Cannot have lyrics because somehow that so messes me up. So some kind of droning up. or something? You know, yeah. just sort of groove salad oh. kind of. Oh, know. yeah, groove salad. Sure, yeah. I know that. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of spacey. Yeah. There is a great collection of photographs on the internet that shows the writing spaces of well-known modern authors. And it's interesting how often they need a window to see a beautiful vista or oh, the, the garden, perhaps, yeah. or the, yeah. the creek or the mountains. Window. But they're always surrounded by books, which kind of seems like a necessary part, right? You want you something think? to turn to for inspiration or just to feel the company of great authors by having them at your elbow. Yeah, Kindle just doesn't do it, No, right? it doesn't, right? No, yeah. I like seeing the names pop out at me from the spines. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a question that we want to ask you. How do you write? When you sit down for your serious test, maybe it's bill paying, maybe it's taxes once a year, maybe it's the novel that you're working on. Where do you sit and what do you need to make it happen? Do you sit like Chaucer near a sewer in a church <laughs> or several churches? Let us know. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or let us know on Twitter at the handle W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Oh, hi. This is Marshall from uh, Point, Texas, calling you. Okay. Very cool. Well, what are you calling us about? Oh, very simple. Um, I have roots uh, from East Texas, from my grandparents and parents, although I didn't, uh, wasn't born here. And, you know, years ago in elementary school or so, I would do the one- or two-week visit to my grandparents in East Texas, and the name of that town was Center. And Center was the typical... Um, courthouse in the center of the square with all the live oaks and all the old men sitting on the benches whittling. Mm -hmm. And as a little boy, I would sit there and whittle with all the old men. All they did with their long pieces of cedar is make a bunch of sticks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Didn't carve anything whatsoever. (laughs) But it was the expressions I would hear from the people, and one of them I always had a question about, and it was whistle britches. And how it was used is uh, my grandfather, one of the other old guys, would point to someone across the street, and they'll say, 
oh, there's old whistle britches. And so I was always wondering, well, what do they mean by whistle britches? And so here recently I looked it up, and it talked about how whistle britches comes from the sound of corduroy pants. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if you see these old men from East Texas back in the 1960s, it was wool and khaki and wingtips and fedoras, and none of those men had any whistling britches <laughs> on them. So I guess the question is, is it really corduroy pants since corduroy doesn't exist in East Texas? Well, it probably started as corduroy, right? You got that Well, noise. that's what I looked up. It had corduroy, and I was like, I don't know. How would they ever have come up with whistle britches to name people <laughs> you know, pointing to them across the street? They what also is... called them hoofits every once in a while. Hoofits? Whistle, yeah, hoofits. I don't hoof-its. know why. Here comes hoofits. But whistle britches is the most colorful term. So it probably did come from the corduroy. It dates back to the late 1800s, but it easily left that and started to be used in a derogatory kind of joking way about somebody who has that ostentatious sound about them. It's kind of hard to ignore that of corduroy pants rubbing together. It's kind of like when a woman wears these particular kind of shoes with the very wooden clumpy heels, and she's drawing eyes wherever she goes because everyone's like, who's making the clumpity clump noise? Walking down but the how, would, how would that travel to East Texas where there is no corduroy? Oh, language. Well, how do they speak English there? It travels with the language. Baggage is along with well, everything you else. Well, they don't speak English in East Texas. They speak Texan. That is true. You have a point there, Marshall. <laughs> well, then, um, there's another theory, too, which has to do with flatulence, and I'll let you figure that one out on your own. Okay, okay. Well, you know, maybe. Because <laughs> you can call somebody it. an old fart, right? And so maybe it's just another way uh, of referring yeah, to them in yeah, a kind of. Yeah. It's not too. You're not putting them down hard. It's just a yeah. gentle put down. They do have beans there, right? <laughs> so there's a possibility there, too. So take your pick. Maybe the flatulence theory works better for you than the corduroy theory. But the corduroy one is pretty solid. We've got some ev- evidence in the historical record and a variety of fiction contacts where people talk about whistle britches and talk specifically about corduroy or whistle breeches is the older form. Right, yeah. right. Well, maybe one day I'll figure out who fits too, but I, I don't know where that <laughs> one came from. Who fits, yeah. Somebody clop, clomping their way through, right? Yeah, it could be like, who's it? Who's it, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just like What's when I lived name? in Indianapolis, there was an expression. You know how we always use the, we must sing from the same hymnal? Mm-hmm. There was the expression that they used called, now we got to be talking from the same bucket. Oh, talking from the same bucket. I've lived in six states and worked in six states, and talking from the same bucket, never figured that one out. That's (laughs) a new one. Grant's making a note. I don't don't know that one. (laughs) Hey, Marshall, this has been fun. Thank you so much for calling. Thanks, bud. No problem. I appreciate it. Okay, take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Do you use the word britches? I do, actually. Do I got it from my grandmother. There uh-huh. was a period when I was very young, around two or so, where mm-hmm. my brother and I were in the care of my grandmother, mm-hmm. who was a classic southeast Missouri kind mm-hmm. of uh, farm culture. And she just, with no irony, just say, pull up your britches. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can just hear Aunt Mazo from western normal, North yeah. Carolina. Martha Ann, get your britches on. And, and so it's happened where I have been in a public place. Actually, it was at a store where I was helping my son try on some pants. And I said, well, pull the britches up. And some lady nearby <laughs> said to me, she's like, really? I'm like, what? She's like, britches. As if I were somehow making a joke. Some I'm, kind like, of affectation. I'm like, no, britches. It's a thing. Britches are real. <laughs> 
This is what my grandmother Barrett said. Britches are real. Pull up your britches. We're here to tell you. (laughs) And we're here to answer your questions about language. So call us, 877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org, and find us on Twitter at wayward. Hello, you have a way with words. Um, hello, this is Mary Bronigal from Tallahassee, Florida. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the program. Hey, Mary. Welcome. Hi. What's going on? I was wondering about the expression mealy-mouthed. My dad used to use it, and I didn't know what it meant, but I got the impression that it was um, not a good thing. Like, it, it was bad. It was not a compliment. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to find... I was writing... Uh, some memoirs, and I was just wondering if you knew anything more about that word. Yeah, sure. What kind of context would uh, he use it in? Oh, he'd say, well, that person is a mealy-mouthed bastard. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Pretty graphic, yeah. So what do you picture when uh, he said mealy-mouthed? Well, I think of um, bugs coming at, like... uh, Mealworms coming out of your mouth. Oh, (laughs) wow. Boy, that's that's quite an image there. I was thinking maybe you were picturing a meal like breakfast or dinner, but but it's not that kind of meal. I mean, you're sort of on the right track in that it has to do with the kind of meal that's finely ground grain, you know, cornmeal or flour. And the image Uh here is of somebody whose mouth is really full of that kind of meal and trying to talk around it. And it it basically means to be vague or equivocal or roundabout or kind of beating around the bush or like uh, your father was suggesting that they're not trustworthy. And um, the the idea is, is that you have a mouthful of meal and you're trying to talk around it. And it's a really, really old expression. It wasn't just your dad. In fact, there's a German expression that was used by Martin Luther centuries ago Goodness. that's that's Goodness. Uh, the same same thing what was it in german what is it grand it's uh mailing 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 yeah something like that oh yeah but it's okay. meal literally holding meal in your mouth well that's not quite as as dramatic as i thought no it'd be different <laughs> if there were writhing mealworms in there that's for sure <laughs> yeah thanks for that image <laughs> mary more horrifying <laughs> <laughs> okay well uh, thank you all. That, that's very informative. Thank you very much. That's, sure thing. It's our pleasure. Take care, Mary. All righty. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. You know, Martin Luther was full of terrible insults. In fact, you can go to a website called Mm ergofabulous.org, and it has something called the Lutheran Insulter. Oh, no. And you can sort of randomly get yourself insulted by Martin Luther. I have some examples (laughs) from his writing. All right, I haven't been insulted yet today. (laughs) Grant, your sin smells to high heaven. To high heaven, yeah. Um, I like this one. You know less than does a log on the ground. You are a bungling magpie croaking loudly. And I like this one, too, from Martin Luther. My soul, like Ezekiel's, is nauseated at eating your bread covered in human dung. Oh, gross. (laughs) I'm sure it's better in the original German, but that's um, a bunch of insults by Martin Luther that you can find at 
ErgoFabulous.org. The log one reminds me of one of my favorite insults, which is, you are as dumb as a stump. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've really heard simple. that many times. About other people. <laughs> About other people. <laughs> <laughs> Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673. Send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. And find us on Twitter at Wayward. Grant, do you know the phrase out of station? No, it sounds kind of jargony. Is this from a trade or profession? That's a good question. It's from Indian English. Indian, out of out of place. Uh, no? no, no, it means going on holiday or going on vacation. Oh, out of station. Yeah, yeah. My friend Soma is from India and she lives here now. And right. she caught herself when she was doing one of those auto response things yeah. writing, I'm going to be out of station. Oh, nice. Isn't that nice? Nice. Yeah, out I of the office. Like that. That's cool. Yeah. 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 I love those ones that are transparent once you hear about them, right. once you learn about them. Right. That's cool. 877 929 Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Carrie from South Central Kentucky. All right, well, welcome to the show. How can we help you? Yeah, uh, we are uh, interested just because when we moved here, there are all sorts of interesting sayings and phrases that we've come across. The one that we've had the most fun with is the phrase, um, if you play with fire, you'll pee the bed. And, um, you know, when we first heard this, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, are you kidding? Isn't getting burned bad enough? And the response has consistently been, well, yeah, everybody knows you'll get burned, but nobody wants to pee the bed. So we just thought that was really funny. A couple months ago, we had a young man from Brazil in our home, and we got talking about different sayings that they say around here, and we told him about this saying, and he said, oh, we say that all the time in Brazil. So we really couldn't believe that. <laughs> the only place we'd heard that phrase was here, and then they also say it there. So we were wondering how that phrase originated, and how in the world would it be in those two random places? That's pretty cool. So how does this come up in conversation? I think we were lighting a candle and just kind of playing with the match okay. or you know, I think right. it was at a church it was it was with a church group that I was actually having the discussion with, but I don't remember how it came up at oh, all. Okay. Although now my my kids will laugh because, you know, somebody's messing around with a candle or whatever. You know, one of the other kids will say, Ah, oh, well now you're gonna pee the bed, better watch out <laughs> <laughs> whatever. So That's interesting. Um, yeah. It's transformed yeah. a little bit because when it started, it started as a, a kind of a adult manufactured superstition. It was a way to get uh-huh. children to not play with matches and not play with fire because they weren't really afraid of the fire. They didn't really seem to care about burning down the house. But heaven forbid that their friends should find out that they wet the bed. And so it was told right, in which earnest. Is exactly what they all say. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to wet the bed. Well, it's not that you don't want to do it. You don't want to be found out. Well, both. <laughs> both right? Yeah, it's I both. would say both. But the thing is, it, so it was said in earnest to children as a way to kind of like make them stop playing with matches because the adults can't be there all the time to stop that from happening. So like one of those fanciful right. parental warnings, yeah. like like if you cross your eyes like that, yes. somebody could hit you on the back. Don't and it'll that stay way. that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't swallow the watermelon seeds or whatever. Right, yeah, oh, right. Like yeah, yeah, right. And so it starts out as a superstition. It appears in a lot of collection of folklore, some really good stuff throughout the United States and North Carolina. It pops up in Utah, pops up in a, a few other places. Huh. And then you can find versions of it in Japan and Norway as well. I think um, it even shows up in Pennsylvania Dutch in that kind of 
form of German smoke spoken among the particular religious communities in Pennsylvania. It's really interesting. <laughs> but in all cases, it starts as a, 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 an adult superstition that they make for the kids in order to teach them not to play with matches or fire. And then it kind of right. transforms so it's where... it's not necessarily a migration of people that it right. was brought with. It just kind of It could have been. It, it could have been. But the other thing that happened to it, as you've so well described, is it's turned into something magical where somehow magically, if you play with fire, then you pee the bed. But that's not actually, that's not <laughs> actually really how it started out. Yeah, so it sounds like it just arose from a sort of universal need for parents to find a way to right. scare kids out of it. Scare you out of playing with fire, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. Thank you so much for taking the time to research it. Yeah, thank you so much for giving us a call. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673 is the number to call to talk about language, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week to chat with us. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Check out our website, waywardradio.org, where you'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. And you can listen to hundreds of past episodes for free. You can also leave us a message anytime at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language, or ask us to resolve language disputes at work, home, or in school. You can also email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Our senior producer is Stephanie Levine. The show is directed by Colin Tedeschi and edited this week by Tim Felton. We have production help from James Ramsey. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. Coming to you from the Track Recording Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. See ya. So long. Potato, tomato, tomato, let's call the whole thing off. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's G-U-M dot F-M slash W-O-R-D-S. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.